0: welcome to history in the making ladies and gentlemen this is res ball episode number one my name is steve pelletier i am a contributor at detroit bad boys you can also find me at woodward pistons on the woodward sports network i love the draft that's what this podcast is mostly going to be about nba draft we'll talk some nba basketball every now and then we'll talk about my detroit pistons as well so without further ado let's get this show on the road So what's up with the name of this podcast? I bet you're asking yourself that right now. Well, do not attempt to adjust your radios, your sets, wherever you are. Yate, Steve Pelletier, What in the world did I just say? I bet many of you are wondering. Well, this is entitled Reswell because I am Dine, also known as Navajo, and it's to honor all the different peoples across this nation of the United States and in Canada, all across that play, what we like to be called a res ball, which is fast break basketball, getting out there, running and gunning from the Aquasasna Reservation up north in New York, all the way down to where I currently reside with the Tauna Adam Nation in Tucson and all the way in between with uh, Lakota, Pine Ridge, Rosebud and my own very Navajo Nation, my my Diné people, we all play res ball. It is definitely ingrained in the culture, hence the name of the podcast, ResBall. Stick around to the end, and I will tell you exactly what I said in the Diné language. But for right now, this is a draft podcast. This is a basketball podcast. So let's get to that. Further, our first episode, I want to honor our friend who no longer is in the draft online community because he's working a different job now doing scouting, and that is Matt Penny, who was the co-host for the Game Theory Podcast many a time. And one of his big things was he always seemed to identify not even a sleeper, but somebody like ahead of the curve. He did it with Josh Primo. He did it with Josh Minot. I don't know, maybe there's something with Josh's and Matt Penny, but he was always there to identify somebody at the beginning of the draft cycle that almost nobody had on their radar. So with that in mind, we'll talk about sleepers and try to do the Matt Penny special of identifying one prospect that is on almost nobody's radar right now. So let me tell you how this is going to work first. First, I'm going to give you the names of 10 sleeper prospects, and then I'm going to go into the Matt Penny special. The Matt Penny special is a freshman, number one, somebody who probably is not going to start just like Josh Primo, just like Josh Minot. Both of them played between 400 and 700 minutes, so something around that area. Somebody who will be in the regular rotation, but will also be kind of on the outside of the regular starting rotation but still flashes loads of potential. I'll also be looking at Recruiting Services Consensus Index, RSCI Rankings. Primo was the 80th ranked prospect in his class. Minot was the 44th. So we're looking at somebody at 41 on down. Somebody that isn't a consensus five-star recruit. Somebody that isn't getting hyped up by mainstream draft coverage. Try and put their name out there as well to be able to say, hey, I think this person has a lot of potential. Let's take a deeper dive into them. And one final note before we get into this list of sl- Sleepers. We're not talking about guys I'm going to say like, oh, these guys are top 10 or oh, everybody's a first round or even a second rounder. I just think these people all have potential in order to play in the NBA, whether it's an undrafted free agent, late second round pick, maybe even into the first round. I will say what round I think they should go if they're undrafted. I just think they all have NBA skills that should be recognized and should at least get them a look. Hence why I want to talk about them right here. Kamaka Hepa is our first sleeper prospect out of the University of Hawaii. He comes from the Inupiat people. His hometown is Barrow, Alaska, which is incredibly far north, almost in the Arctic Circle. It might even be in the Arctic Circle. He originally played for Shaka Smart in the University of Texas. His first three years, Shaka Smart was let go. Hepa transferred to the University of Hawaii. Unfortunately, Hepa did not get much playing time while he was at the University of Texas, but with the University of Hawaii, This past season, he scored 9.4 points per game, five rebounds he grabbed, and 1.4 assists was dished out, along with 0.4 steals and 0.7 blocks. All of this while shooting 49.4% from two, 39.6% from three, and 80.4% from the free throw line. So, what's the pitch? Why is he a sleeper? Number one, 6'10", 215 pounds is what the University of Hawaii list him at. And shooting 39.6% from three and 80.4% from the free throw line gives him great stretch big man potential. He took 106 threes and then 56 attempts from the free throw line. So the free throws you would like to get up, obviously, but if you're a stretch four, standing in the corner most times, you're probably not going to get that many free throw attempts anyway. But over 100 threes, 39.6% I think is a good indicator of at least having some kind of role in the rotation as a stretch big man his three point attempt rate was 55.5% and then Kamaka Hepa put up a true shooting percentage of 58.6% not wasting many shots mainly a three point shooter and when he does get to the free throw line Hepa converts at over 80% those are great traits to have as a stretch big man as a role player I think Kamaka Hepa at least deserves undrafted free agent look coming out of the university of Hawaii. I really like Kamaka Hepa as a stretch big man. Kamaka Hepa will have to improve as a passer. Number one, he posted a 10.3% assist percentage and almost doubled that at 20.2% turnover rate. That is not ideal. He's turning the ball over almost double as he's dishing out assists. The totals on these numbers are 38 turnovers to 55 assists for Hepa. So this will be something he has to improve, especially for a role player potential where, yes, I'm not wasting shots. See that 58.6% true shooting, but HEPA is also not wasting possessions by making careless turnovers or by missing open teammates he just has to stick to simple things to show I'll knock down open shots and I'll find you when you're wide open so trying to get on the turnovers will be number one next will be defense he only posted 20 blocks which is pretty low we said before 0.7 blocks per game under one but in his defense he is playing out of position they're asking him to play center more and as a result of that that 20 blocks did lead the team as well. I think he works better as a stretch for. I'm not going to sit here and say he's going to be some switch defender or like he's going to be able to be weak side rim. But I think he can at least be passable and shore up a little bit more on that end. Fight some more. Show that you're going to be scrappy and at least get in the way. Davis Bertans I think could be a reasonable outcome. Something like that. Because again, Bertans not a fantastic defender. He's mainly a shooting specialist. That's what Kamaka Hapa should be shooting for. So moving right along in our sleepers here the next prospect i'm looking at is a guard out of st louis university the billikens his name is gibson jimerson gibson jimerson is listed at six foot five 205 pounds he put up 16.3 points per game 2.3 rebounds 0.08 assists 0.5 steals 0.0 blocks last year shot 46.7 percent from two-point range 42 points from three and 82.6% from the free throw line. That's 16.3 points per game led St. Louis last year in points per game. The team was 23-12 and with uh, Jimmerson leading the way. So underrated team, underrated guy. This is somebody who, number one, is a legit shooter. He put up 207 three-pointers this past year, and Jimmerson knocked down 87 of them for that 42%. And the free throws as well. He took 115 attempts, and Jimmerson knocked down 95 of those for that 82.6%. That is a fantastic combination to have over 40% and over 80% from the line, so you know for sure he's going to get his shots up. And he got a lot of them up. And he, even though the, he's not much of a creator uh, for other people, he only had 28 total assists last year as we see 0.8 assists. This is still a shooter that led his team in points and helped to get those wins up to 23 last year. So that shows the kind of impact he can have just as a shooter. Gibson Jimerson is limited athletically, so that is going to hinder him and keep him in undrafted free agent territory, unfortunately. Not sure he can defend many positions, maybe his own at shooting guard. Not sure he's going to wiggle loose off the dribble. Mainly will be an off-ball guy. Again, as we said before, 28 assists to 35 turnovers. As I said before with Kamakahepa, here is where Gibson Jimerson will also have to really work on it to see that he sees the open teammate. He doesn't waste possessions because he certainly is not wasting any shots. And he only had 79 rebounds. I don't know that that is really concern. I'm sure some scouts and some people will knock that on this prospect but if you're a guard and your job is mainly to space to floor out like how much can you really hold somebody to say well you should be rebounding more when that's uh, the last thing that the team is actually asking you to do Again, does not waste shots. 58.1% true shooting percentage for Gibson Jimerson, And his three-point attempt rate was actually 47.5%. You would think this is somebody that's just putting up three-point shots, but he's not. He's able to convert his looks inside the line. Use that jump shot in there as well. And his usage percentage is only 22%. It's, so it's not very high. This is somebody that doesn't need the ball all the time. Again, is not going to waste three-point attempts, consistently spaced out the floor. We've seen this before with a guy named Duncan Robinson. I'm a Michigan alum. I was there from 2012 until 2021. So I saw three years that that Duncan was there. And I remember going to games thinking that he had a role as a shooting specialist, even though it was like Zach Irvin and Karis LeVert and all these other guys getting more NBA attention. The league needs shooters like this. Gibson Jimerson is at least worth an undrafted free agent look, in my opinion as a shooter because he can put them up and convert them at a high rate. Let's stay on the track of shooting and we'll go to a player out of Pepperdine who's gotten some draft buzz, but I really think that he has not gotten enough draft buzz, and that is Houston Millette, the guard out of Pepperdine. He's listed at six foot five, one hundred and eighty-five pounds. So he's a bit on the skinny side, but he is a sophomore, a true sophomore. So this past season at Pepperdine, he helped lead the team in scoring with 13.6 points per game, pulled in 3.3 rebounds, dished out one. 1.9 assists, had 0.7 steals, 0.2 blocks, all of this while shooting 50.6% from two-point range, 38.2% from three-point distance, and 77.3% from the free-throw line. He is a shooting specialist as well. He took 186 three-point attempts. This past season, drained 71 of them. Houston Millette had that 38.2%. And Millette also took 66 free-throw attempts, drained 51 of them. And Millette had that 77.3% free-throw percentage. If you watch his film and watch any games, he is really active off the ball. You see him moving constantly all the time. You will see shades of like Reggie Miller, shades of Rip Hamilton. Again, not saying he's going to be that level of player, but he is that type of player that is constantly moving off the ball and working himself open. He doesn't need it all the time. 20.8 usage percentage. That was like third highest on the team, I believe, uh, at Pepperdine. So again, he's not demanding the ball, but he can still score a lot. 56.3% true shooting percentage. A couple ticks below where Gibson Jimerson was. His three-point attempt rate is up though at 52.2%. So a little over half of his threes come from, or some, excuse me, half of his shots come from three-point range. So again, good indication of being a shooting specialist. Millette will have to work on his defense, 6'5", 185 pounds, probably mostly just point guards and shooting guards is what he will be asked to guard with that size. I'm not really sure his level of defense right now, that Pepperdine team was 7 and 25 even with him leading the way in scoring so they need more of an on-ball creator which again is where Millette is going to lack number 1 he doesn't do much with the ball in his hands and number 2 defensively you can't really knock him either cuz he's a freshman but he just needs to show more there show he can at least stick with guards play tough man to man defense get in people's way and that will up his potential i think he does have potential to be a second round pick cuz again as a freshman Being able to lead your team in scoring just mainly as a three-point shooter shows that he does have quite a bit of shooting stroke and gravity that somebody like maybe a Kate Cunningham for my Pistons need somebody who just has that, you know, fire flamethrower that always requires you to have a man on them and pull an extra defender away. Really quick too, Pepperdine does have another draft prospect on their team in Maxwell Lewis who's listed at six foot seven. 195 pounds. If you want to hear more about him, go listen to Sam Vicini's Game Theory podcast with Coach Spins Adam Spinella of the Box in One podcast, where they do their wings preview and they do break down Maxwell Lewis and his game very well in that podcast. It's towards the second half when they start mentioning returning guys, so it'll be after the main um, the main guys that they go over the top prospects. So definitely check that out because Maxwell Lewis is an interesting mm-hmm. stretch forward, another guy that maybe three and deep potential, good size, pretty good shooter. We'll see how that turns out. Pepperdine sneakily getting all this draftable talent. We'll see how they turn out. Hopefully their season turns out better than 7-25. and 25. Again, definitely rooting for Pepperdine. Always root for the underdog. Next is a prospect near and dear to my heart. I'm Richie from Albuquerque, New Mexico. I grew up a New Mexico Lobos fan, but I really just love the whole state of New Mexico. It's my home. It's where I grew up. Anytime I can talk about a New Mexico basketball player, it is a happy day here. So we travel down south to Cruces and my Lobos, normal rivals, the Aggies, New Mexico State, and Teddy Allen, a.k.a. Teddy Buckets. Of course, if you watched the NCAA tournament this past season and saw UConn get upset, you probably know about Teddy Allen. He also has gotten a little bit of draft buzz last season. He's an older prospect. The one thing that I definitely want to talk about with him is his story, trying to cut off some things of the past, because he's going to get those labels of like attitude problem, quote unquote, which I think is totally unfair when it comes to Teddy Allen 2017 he's named Gatorade player of the year in the state of Nebraska he then signs and goes to West Virginia where he has trouble with the coaching staff decides to transfer to Wichita State he sits out a year at Wichita State unfortunately he was kicked off the team for domestic violence property crime and petty theft Has to go to junior college there. Goes back to Western Nebraska Community College where he led the uh, NJCAA in scoring and started getting more eyes of other coaching staff on him. New Mexico State and Chris Jans and that staff saw him. They liked him. But the Nebraska coaching staff also saw him and liked him, and he went back to Nebraska. Goes and plays at Nebraska for one year. Puts up 16.5 points per game there, shoots 49.7% from two, 37.6% from three, 69.1% from the free throw line. Pulls in 4.7 rebounds, dishes out 1.7 assists, grabs 1.3 steals, 0.0 blocks. Pretty good season, but Nebraska sucks. They're not going anywhere, so Teddy decides, you know what? I'm going to go to New Mexico State to try and win, to try and help them get some whack titles, maybe get in the NCAA tournament. So finally, this past year at New Mexico State in Las Cruces, New Mexico, he scores 19.6 points per game. Pulls in 6.7 rebounds, dishes out 2.5 assists, gets 1.2 steals, 0.1 blocks per game, shooting 52.4% from two-point range, 33.5% from three-point distance, and 87.6% from the free-throw line. Those are fantastic combination of numbers to have, shows that he can score in a variety of ways and let's look at those raw totals so he took 276 two-point attempts drained 140 of those teddy buckets got that 52.4 percent teddy allen also took 224 three-point attempts and drained 75 percent of those which was 33.5 percent for allen and then teddy allen got to the free throw line 186 times and was able to sink 163 of those for that stellar 87.6 percent Anytime You can get close to 90% on your free throw attempts. You are really, really good. I mean, there's no other way to say it, right? Also pulled in 229 rebounds, dished out 86 um, assists as well. So he is going to, you know, dish out the rock, going to get to the free throw line, going to put up shots from distance. And hey, what do you know? He can get inside, get to the rim, has a little bit of a mid-range pull-up game. Definitely has a lot. In his scoring bag. And the cherry on top of all of this is he's listed at six foot six, 223 pounds. So this is a big guy that can handle the rock knows how to score with it without it the three-point percentage I'm sure some people are going to be you know concerned by 33.3 33.5 percent excuse me but with that free throw percentage where he more than doubled his uh, free throw attempts from it was 81 the year before and then it got went up to 186 the next year that's definitely major improvement and before 37.6 percent the one year with Nebraska he shot well and then the Attempts went from 117 with Nebraska, and then Teddy Allen shot 224 attempts from three the following year here in Las Cruces at New Mexico State. I think that is totally fine when you up that percentage. uh, When you up the attempts, excuse me, the percentage might go down a little bit. And you look at his overall true shooting percentage of 57.7%. That is really good. Anything above 55% as that leading scorer, I think, is always good, showing that you're not wasting many shot attempts, and then you have a nice balance of even when the three isn't going in, I'm getting to the line. Even when I'm not doing both, I'm able to get inside and finish, or use my jumper to get up there and do that. His three-point attempt rate was 45.6% too, so approaching 50%. He's not overly reliant on that three-ball. What Alan will have to prove, and this is probably more in workouts more than anything else because the Aggies are going to need him to duplicate that success again, handle the rock a lot. He had a 30.0% usage rate, so he is taking up a lot of time with the ball in his hands. Whereas in the NBA, he's probably not going to have that role unless he comes in and looks like Michael Jordan or something like that from day one, right? Yeah, I believe he's 24, 25 years old already. So he's going to have to show more role player potential that he can do more things off the ball, like, you know, play tough defense, be a three-point shooter, maybe be a bench scorer in the mold of like a Jordan Clarkson, only like more of the Hulk version of that being six six, 223 pounds. He's a big guy. He already has an NBA body, so he has that ahead of everyone everybody else. But he will have to show that he can do a lot more things in the NBA without the ball in his hands to supplement star teammates. And again, I'm going to point back to the like, you know, his behavior issue, you know, behavior problems, whatever they want to label it as ridiculous stuff looking into his past. There is a a story by the Las Cruces Sun News where they interviewed him about his journey and they talk about the different places that he stopped at. So I'll definitely put that link in the description here to go check out especially with the being kicked off of Wichita State team and then the – I don't even know what the disparities or what the disagreements were with – West Virginia's coaching staff, so I'm not even going to speculate on it. But obviously, Wichita State, he was arrested. But this is something that happened like three or four years ago. Every indication since then with Nebraska, with New Mexico State, is a young man who's getting his life back on track, who understands the mistakes he's made and trying to correct them, to follow in the profession that he chose to do and that he is clearly very good at. So any of this behavior stuff, I think, is going to be absolutely ridiculous to knock him down. He has shown nothing but improvement since then and that he is continuing continuing to work and continuing to get better on and off the court as well. I really believe in Teddy Allen, fantastic scorer. You don't see many guys this size being able to do what he can on the basketball court. Let's get more athletic next with Memphis forward Keo De Akabundu-Ihu. Shout out to Kate Cunningham's trainer, Ashton the trainer, who posted some stuff on Instagram with Keo Dorici Akabundu-Ihu and his really out of this world athleticism. I've also heard Keo Dorici-Akobundui, whose name, come up in one of the NBA big board guys. It wasn't Rafael Barlow. I cannot remember if it's Mavs draft or uh, draft dummy, so apologies there. But we have heard this name before. This is a 22-year-old forward. He's listed at 6'9", 210 pounds. He will be playing for Memphis this year. Has taken quite a bit of journey. He started in junior college with Southwest Assembly of God, then went to UT Arlington, where he's been the past two years. You look at his numbers, and they're not going to say much. Last season was mostly career highs, where he put up 4.7 points per game, 4.8 rebounds, 0.4 assists, 0.5 steals, 2.6 blocks per game shooting 67 uh, percent right on the money right on the nose from two he was one of one from three point range so that's the only three pointer he's ever taken in ncaa and then shot 85.7 percent from the free throw line but he only took 14 free throws so again take that with a grain of salt But this is a prospect, again, whose athleticism, I do not even know how to describe it to y'all. Six foot nine and 210. He has a seven foot four wingspan, 47 inch vertical. What does that mean? Just go look up Keirorichi Akabundu Ihu on YouTube, and you will see him jump and touch the top of the backboard, like in so many different. Uh, there's so many different videos again it's hard to really put it into words there is a video on him that the the um youtube channel whistle did i believe it is no days off is the like show subheading so the, the channel is whistle so betting is no days off. The title is Six Foot Nine NBA Prospect. K-O-K-A-I-O is a freak athlete. Like, just go look at that video to get an idea of how athletic he is. In film, it really does pop. There is no lob that this guy cannot grab. I mean, you, you just can't throw it too high for him. He finishes everything, dunks everything as if he's just kind of standing still. And that vertical, man, like gets up for rebounds, gets up for dunks. It's fantastic and functional. Fantastic. Just can't say enough good about how much his athleticism pops. 134 blocks, too, in the past two seasons. That's the standout stat if there's anything in his profile 3.3 blocks per game in 2020 2021 season and then last season 2.6 blocks per game it probably went down because people stopped trying to challenge him Uh, 60 total blocks two seasons ago and then 74 total blocks this past season that is the one thing that definitely shows up is nobody wants to challenge him because they know he will just stick out that seven foot four wingspan up straight in the air hard to get over that and hey, if you're able to get over that, he has that 47-inch vertical. He's just going to sky in there like an eagle, swoop it, swat it, and kill it. What else can he do on the court? Can he really convert at the free throw line? If they foul him a lot, he's only taken 31 Free throw attempts in his entire NCAA career, and Kaeo Richie Akabundu Ihu. I do not know if Kaeo can space the floor either. We don't see much of his shooting potential on film, but that'll be yet to see. But Kaio is such a great athlete, and definitely being a big man. I don't know that that will necessarily be a thing that everybody wants him to work on. Obviously, it's today's NBA. Everybody wants you know people to shoot five out that kind of offense. But when you have this level of athleticism, you can utilize that in a bunch of different ways. I mean, you could think of somebody like JYD, Junkyard Dog, Jerome Williams. Again, I'm normally going to default back to Pistons and and, uh, things like this when guys have this profile of super defender being able to utilize in a bunch of different ways. But you can also think of somebody like Darius Miles that for a while people wanted him to be this on-ball creator. But as he got further into his NBA career, utilize that athleticism on defense to be able to really frustrate people and get in their way. And Kai Odorichi Akabundu who has been utilized as a center mostly and I think the potential there with all those blocks with being able to get rebounds that's where you should utilize him most and try to market him as this lob threat somebody who can be a great screener be a vertical spacer at all times on the court get out and hustle really fantastic worker who's worked well from junior college all the way up until the present day. I think he's worth a second-round pick, in my opinion. Uh, The one person I am thinking about this past year is Yannick Sosa that type of a player to where you see that wingspan, you see that athleticism, you see these other flashes of being able to do things on the court that people that size just are not always able to do and especially at the big man position wingspan, fluidity, explosiveness there's going to be a role for somebody they just got to harness that coal into a diamond i really like Kealtorichi Akabundu Ihu i definitely think he should get a look as a second round pick now headed to my neck of the woods now in Pac-12 territory. Let's go to Colorado and we have wing prospect Tristan Da Silva. Anybody remember Oscar Da Silva from Stanford a couple years ago? This is his brother who now plays for Colorado. This six foot eight, 200 pounds is what Tristan Da Silva is listed at, but this is somebody that can play the guard position as well as being a wing. This past season, he put up 9.4 points per game, pulled in 3.5 rebounds, dished out two assists 2.0 on the nose 0.3 steals 0.5 blocks and he only had 1.8 turnover so again always a good sign when you have more assists to turnover shot 53.5 percent from two point range from three-point distance, and 79.7% from the free throw line. In these total numbers of shots, he took 142 uh, shots from two-point range, drained 76 of them for that 53.5%. Took 75 three-point attempts, drained 28 of them for that 37.3%. And Tristan Da Silva got to the line 69 times, drained 55 of those free-throw attempts for that 79.7%. Total number of assists was 61. Turnovers are 57, so just a teeny bit over more total assists to turnovers. Again, this is somebody that was out there shooting guard a lot. So at 6'8", 200 pounds, you cannot underestimate that level of a mismatch to be that much taller than the opposition even a six foot six shooting guard you got two inches on them not sure what his wingspan is hopefully we'll see that comes out to be something greater at the combine a lot of guys don't measure wingspan until that point unfortunately true shooting percentage this past year was 58.3 percent as a freshman he only played in 24 games didn't start any of them but he had 57.3 percent true shooting percentage so it's fantastic that he got more minutes He played 222 minutes as a freshman, was up to 878 minutes as a sophomore, played 31 games, started 31 games, and then that true shooting percentage goes up to 58.3%. That is fantastic. Always a great indicator that somebody knows how to play a role and can do it at a high level. In my opinion, if Tristan Da Silva does want to be a second-round pick even, Tristan De Silva will have to put up more three-pointers. Only had a 34.6% three-point attempt rate, so not even 40% of his shots come from three-point range. I think that's the main mismatch potential there. Again, if you're going to be shooting guard, a wing, over to the small forward position, definitely want to be putting up a lot of shots and be converting them at a high rate as well. Because I'm not sure if he can scale over over to the four spot as well. De Silva only pulled in 3.5 rebounds per game this past season. Total rebounding percentage, both as a freshman as as and as a sophomore, is under 8%. Not fantastic profile if you want to move over to a power forward spot. And again, even though he had more assists than turnovers, like it's good to look at the assist percentage versus the turnover percentage. Assist percentage was 14%. Turnover rate was 18.6%. So that one is higher, saying that, yeah, he does actually turn over the ball a little bit more than you would like, more than he is able to just shout assists and create for the other teammates. So cut down on the turnovers to help with that role player potential, as we mentioned before with a couple other prospects here. Seventeen percent usage as freshman, seventeen point nine percent as a sophomore. So that's a good indicator, I think, in terms of role player potential. To know, hey, I'm not going to take up the ball, and then point back to the a true shooting percentage of 58.3%. Those are always things that I personally like to see in second round picks is who can play a role, who can I identify and say, hey, can this person be a shooter to help space out the floor? Can this person be a defender to really mess things up? Can this person be a playmaker? And Tristan Silva does fit that role player potential, both with this low usage to where he's not going to demand the ball and that true shooting percentage to say, hey, he is not going to waste many shots. I think Tristan Da Silva has good potential there. Solid on defense, but as always, you'll have to improve there as well. Continue to show that, yes, I can guard twos and threes if he could guard point guards that would be fantastic as well but i don't think that would really necessarily frustrate people from wanting to draft them as long as he can guard the wing position and space that floor out yeah definitely in the mold of his teammate last year jabari walker who got drafted late in the second round very underrated in my opinion as well jabari walker was more of a four he did play center at times for colorado i think tristan da is the other side of that coin would like guard wing potential who can guard twos and threes Underrated shooter, underrated creator, and just a fantastic role player. Heading back out east to Toledo for the next prospect is guard Raheem Moss. He's listed at six foot four inches tall, 205 pounds. This past season at Toledo, Raheem Moss scored 8.8 points per game, pulled in 5.7 rebounds, dished out 2.7 assists, grabbed 1.1 steals per game, 0.02 blocks, and only had 1.3 turnovers per game. In these contests, 34 games played, 34 games started. He shot 57.9% from two-point range. Moss also shot 32.8% from three-point distance and was able to drain 71.6% of his free throws defense is really what caught my eye with Moss I was watching the Michigan State game last year Toledo versus Michigan State and Moss was really up in everybody's grill and the more I watched Ryan Rollins last year as well Moss always popped for his defense number one first and foremost reminds me a ton of Avery Bradley that guard defender that can be at the point of attack all the time just really frustrate the opposition's point guard and Moss is six foot four 205 pounds so he does have a size advantage over bradley that i think will warrant well to be able to guard ones and twos in the nba and hey what do you know uh, moss also pulled in 5.7 rebounds per game which is a lot more than some of the prospects we've talked about earlier on this 195 total rebounds this past season also dished out 93 assists to just 43 turnovers so again unlike bradley This looks like somebody that can also play point guard, which is fantastic. Maybe not running a first unit, but as a second unit, I can see definitely or being like a tertiary secondary playmaker alongside somebody like, hey, maybe Kate Cunningham or somebody like, you know, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown in that Boston system where they just need somebody to run some of the offense, but not take away from superstar players. I really like Raheem Moss in that role. Again, the true shooting percentage is 58.3%. Again, fantastic. Not wasting many shots there. And his usage was only 14.2%. So this is somebody that really pulled in rebounds, got open shots for his teammates, didn't waste many when he put them up there, and does not need to hog the ball in order to be successful and is a fantastic defender that will mess up opposing point guards. Moss will 100% have to improve that shot, both from the three-point line and from the free-throw line. Not only just improving the percentage, which again, Moss put up 32.8% from three this past season, but only took 67 of them. That was two per game. Needs to take more threes per game to space out the floor if you're going to be that every badly, Point of fact, complimentary Person guard on offense, you do definitely have to be able to space out the floor so that your teammate with the ball in their hands has somebody else who provides gravity to give them more space to operate. And again, 71.6% from the free throw line. Not fantastic for a guard. Only took 81 attempts from the free throw line as well. You would like that to go up in addition to the three point, uh, the three-point stroke as well. One thing I forgot to mention here is that Moss was a freshman this past year, so again, this is somebody that is on the younger side of returners sleepers so he'll be a true sophomore this coming year 1920 has lots of room to improve again fantastic defender that looks like he can be avery bradley with a little bit more point guard skills i really like raheem moss out of the university of toledo Anybody else notice how much Australia's been putting out great basketball talent this year? Well, there's another great basketball talent here in the States who's been here for a while, started his career at Eastern Washington for two seasons before transferring over to Portland. And that is Portland's Tyler Robertson, who's originally from Melbourne, Australia, and listed at six foot six, 200 pounds. And what do you know? It looks like he can play a little bit of point guard. I don't know what it is about these Australian prospects lately, but all the way starting from Dante Exum. We saw Dyson Daniels this past year. Uh, And we have Josh Giddey. They all really know how to play point. Not just, like, be able to pass, but be able to have point guard skills. So... Tyler Robinson, Robertson excuse me, in this past season at Portland put up 15.3 points per game. Pulled in 6.3 rebounds, dished out 4.5 assists per game, point, or 1.3 steals per game, 0.3 blocks, and only 2.5 turnovers. Robertson shot 43.9% from two-point range, 35.6% from three-point range, and then 88.3% from the free-throw line. He took 223 two point attempts. He took 163 point attempts and then 137 free throw attempts. So, again, the two point percentage was 43.9% not fantastic you would like that to be better 35.6 again like right around the average for a shooter but 88.3 percent from the free throw line for robertson good indicator that that stroke looks good and has good mechanics up top at least but just for a little bit of context on robertson's shots he did lead his team in three-point attempts so he is the primary floor spacer for portland with that 167 attempts was second in two point attempts. so again second leading a guy getting uh, shots up there and then 137 tied with chris austin for that team lead at the free throw line so this is somebody that is relied upon to be a primary floor spacer and a primary uh scorer and hey what do you know he's also the primary playmaker dishing out 143 assists versus 79 turnovers so almost two to one turnover ratio that is always good and again what's up with these australian prospects and being able to really know how to play point fantastic oh and uh, before i forget he did lead the team in rebounding too with those 203 total rebounds so definitely somebody that can do a lot six foot six 200 pounds out on the basketball court knows how to position himself for rebounds know how to get teammates open and can score as Athletically, though, Robertson might be the one on this list I have most concern about. I am not certain he could really guard point guards despite being able to play points. So he probably would need to move over to like shooting guards, small forward, maybe foot speed, lateral agility. That's going to be the biggest question mark for me on him. Portland plays in the WCC, so they will see Gonzaga. They will see St. Mary's. They'll see our uh, aforementioned guys from Pepperdine. All of them are in the WCC. So there will be film out there to see against NBA competition, NBA athletes. That will be the big thing is just what does Robertson's athleticism look like? And especially on defense, who who will he be able to guard? What position is he going to look to guard? But everything else looks like this guy knows how to ball out. Out. Fantastic guard, wing, can move him somewhere. Maybe like, I don't want to say Joe Ingles because that seems like a lazy comparison, you know, one Australian to the other. But it's hard not to make that comparison here with the size, with the playmaker ability, with the ability to rebound and just can do a bunch of different things on the basketball court, just like Joe Ingles and maybe like slow Joe over there, Despite that athleticism, just has such a great basketball IQ that knows how to get after on defense, too, with positions and angles. Not saying that's going to happen, but I would not be shocked if that was the case, too. Robertson probably starts off undrafted free agent territory as well. Maybe second round, late second round, but I think still at least worth undrafted free agent look. The next guy on our list is playing for Vanderbilt this upcoming season. He's been there All three years of his college career, and that's Miles Studi. Six foot seven forward, listed at 215 pounds, playing for Coach Stack. Shout out Jerry Stackhouse, former NBA great, Detroit Piston great. Played for a couple of other teams, but still love Coach Stack. So this past season at Vanderbilt, Studi put up 8.5 points per game, 3.7 rebounds, 0.4 assists, 0.7 steals, and 0.3 blocks per game. Studi shot 52.6% from two-point range, 43.2% from three-point range, and then 69% from the free throw line. Now, Studi is definitely a legit shooter, maybe the most, you know, proven shooter on this list, definitely up there with Gibson Jimerson. If anybody watched Vanderbilt last year, Scotty Pippen Jr. was the whole offense. He put up 736 points per game. I believe he led the NCAA in free throw attempts last year with 299. If not, it's still a ton of free throw attempts. One of the main reasons why Scotty Pippen Jr. was able to cook and go to work is because of Miles Studio, who took 183 three-point attempts. That was his main job, was to space out the floor for Scotty Pippen Jr. to work and to operate. And he not only did that, he converted at 43.2%, which anything over 40% is great. Anything over 42% is fantastic, in my opinion. And anything over 153 point attempts is a good rate. And to convert it at that high level shows that, yes, this guy can shoot the basketball. 69% from the free throw line is obviously worrisome, but he only took 42 free throw attempts. And a lot of times with the shooters, you got to get into the rhythm. So 42 attempts, across. 36 games. Not a lot to really get in a rhythm. That'll be something to definitely monitor going forward to see if the free throw attempts are off. I mean, really the only prospect or only player I can ever think of who had a bad free throw percentage but a good three point percentage is Bruce Bruce Bowden uh, out of the San Antonio Spurs. Go look it up. i there were seasons where he shot like in the fifties from the free throw line, but then it was like thirty eight percent from three point range. It's never made sense to me, but good thing he was such a great defender, fantastic player, definitely one of a kind in a lot of regards. Bruce Bowden. But back to Miles Studi. Concerns are number one, he only took 38 two point attempts this past season. That is tiny like that's all he did was take threes again that's his job that's what he was asked to do but what else can he do inside the two-point arc with scotty pippen now gone i believe he's still on a two-way contract now undrafted free agent with the lakers studio's got to be able to show more inside the arc to take more than 38 total attempts that was barely over one attempt inside the three-point arc per game 1.1 attempts from two per game versus 5.1 attempts from the three-point line per game. Great that he can shoot, but what else can he do? The other thing for me is 6'7", 215. This is somebody that can profile to be a stretch four, except that he only pulled in 132 rebounds, which was third on the team behind Jordan Wright and Cora Miller-Brown, who or Quentin Melora-Brown, excuse me, who were both kind of like center forward, so I think that's really the main thing for me that I would like to see him improve on to show, yes, not only can I stretch the floor, but I'm able to rebound to be a stretch four and be able to do something other than just shoot the three ball. Defensively, I think Miles is okay as well. I would like to see him be a little bit nastier on that end. Because he does have a profile to be somebody like Mike Scott, who played in the NBA quite a bit and was in quite a bit of rotations, mainly on Philadelphia for all those years, being a stretch forward. And he was able to pull in a lot of rebounds, shoot a lot of threes. I think Miles Studi can be like that if he can show a little bit more fight and tenacity on defense. Not that he's a bad defender, but that's just going to separate him even more with that ability to shoot the rock like he can. And I mean, it might also not matter because if you look at Miles Studi's true shooting percentage is 63.5%, which is really, really good. Anything over 60% is good. Anything over 62% is really good. So not only is he not wasting shots, he's converting them at such a high rate. And again, it's part of why Scottie Pippen Jr. was able to do all that he did last year is because this is somebody that you not only have to pay attention to as the three-point shooter in Miles Studi, but you have to stay attached to in his hip pocket all the time because he is going to make you pay as a shooter that's a definite mismatch mismatch advantage and he did all this uh, with only 15.7 percent usage so really really not wasting any shot, any opportunity that he's given, I think Miles Studi is worth an undrafted free agent. Look, if you're really just looking for a shooter, maybe the end of the second round, not a bad idea to, to take a deep dive into the film. Take a deep dive into him, going to see him, talk to Coach Stack, all that stuff if you're an NBA staff, because that ability to shoot. Yeah, definitely mismatch. And I'd be remiss if I didn't include somebody from the state of Michigan as well. So let's return to Oakland University that's in Oakland County in Michigan. It's located in Rochester, Michigan, if you did not know. And the prospect I'm talking about is Micah Parrish, who spent the last two seasons in Oakland, but now has transferred over to San Diego State. So he'll be here on the West Coast in the Mountain West. Good to see him do a little bit more on the ball this season. At Oakland, he put up 12.1 points per game this past season, also pulled in six rebounds per game, 6.0, 1.4 assists, grabbed 1.7 steals, 0.2 blocks per game, and shot 53.2% from two-point range, 35.3% from three-point range, and 80% right on the nose from the free-throw line. San Diego State has Parrish listed at 6 foot 6 200 pounds. He was previously listed at 6 foot 6 180 pounds with Oakland, so it looks like he bulked up more. Number 1 is going to be a 3 and D wing, I mean 6 foot 6 200 pounds able to shoot like that, both uh, 35.3% from 3 and then 80% from the free throw line. He put up 133 total three-point attempts this past season and then was at the free throw line 110 times. So Micah Parrish is able to shoot at a pretty good volume that is 4.4 attempts per game. If you know anything about Oakland Grizzlies as well they put up a lot of threes and put out quite a bit of good shooters between Kendrick Nunn and Kay Felder Kay Felder current MVP over in China somebody who I really thought should have gotten more shine in the NBA they put out fantastic shooters so Michael Parrish comes from that line as well the reason for transferring to San Diego State I think is just to get more on ball reps he was third in line really at Oakland behind Jalen Moore and Jamal Kane Thank you. I guess kind of third, too, if you throw in Trey Townsend as well. So at San Diego State, who is in need of another on-ball creator next to Matt Bradley, I think it will do him well to have more of a featured role and with that shooting ability because he's not just a shooter. He can put the ball on the deck, but at Oakland, I'm not sure they were going to really give him that much opportunity to shine. And at San Diego State, he is going to get much more exposure, more TV time. They are currently ranked ranked in the top 25, so that is going to be good for Micah Parrish. Also, in the kind of limited appearance on offense, his usage was only 17.9%. Again, he was not one of the focal points of the uh, offense, but he still got to the line 3.7 times per game which is pretty good for being fourth in line. And that free throw attempt rate is 42.5%. So almost half of his time out there, he's able to get to the free throw line. As a freshman as well, he was uh, 44.4% free throw attempt rate. So he's continuing to be able to get to the line no matter what, no matter when being out there, no matter if he's featured, no matter if he's more of an off ball. This is somebody that really knows how to get to the line. Also, as a freshman, he posted 62.1% true shooting percentage. As a sophomore, 58.3% true shooting percentage. Again, another guy that is not going to waste shot opportunities. We've obviously seen that as a running thing here with guys that I'm looking at as sleepers. Because number one, I really want somebody that can, you know, fill a role. It's hard to find a sleeper, in my opinion, that is going to be like a star. It's hard to find somebody as a sleeper who's going to be off ball. But I would like to find guys that, number one, can fill that role, have traits that show, yes, I'm able to get on the court. No matter what, like Micah Parrish is able to do with that free throw attempt rate that no matter what you're going to put me in there, I'm going to be able to draw contact and get us some extra shots. If Parrish is going to be in more of a featured role, passing is going to be the number one thing for Parrish. 43 assists to 56 turnovers, not a good combination for somebody that wants to be featured more. He's going to have to turn that around, show that he can create more for his teammates and keep the turnovers down as well. The assist percentage to both years as a freshman and as a sophomore were below 8%. So that really has to take, you know, more than double up, in my opinion, in order to show that I can do a little bit more. I can pass because anything below 10% assist percentage is questionable, in my opinion. It really would have to dive into the film of like, why are you not passing? Why are you not creating even 10% assist rate? That has to be something to be looked into. And defensively, uh, he's somebody I really buy into as well. Oakland guys, he's from Detroit, as the hometown. You know they're going to get after it on defense. They can do it that way. San Diego State as well. Really helps to beef up guys on defense. They know how to get after it, even if they're not the best defenders. They understand positioning, and understanding I have to play defense. Again, I'm a UNM New Mexico alumni. Growing up, seeing San Diego State more than I would like to. Definitely know the long tradition of having great defense and guys that buy into being good defenders and buy into the system. So I definitely believe Michael Parish will be solid there on defense as well as he's already shown to be solid on defense at Oakland. I think that will improve at San Diego State as well. Six foot six, two hundred pounds at the very minimum, three and D guy. I think currently even now worth a look as a second round pick. But hopefully by the end of the year this is somebody that can play himself into that firmly being a wing three and D type prospect in the second round. So now, ladies and gentlemen, we finally arrived at the Matt Penny special. Again, this is going to be a freshman, somebody that is not widely regarded as a five star, somebody 41 or below in RSCI rankings, but also somebody that does seem to have great potential for a variety of reasons. So my pick for the Matt Penny special is... University of Arizona wing Philip Borovicinen. So if you remember at the beginning, I said I am currently located in Tucson, Arizona. I actually work here at the University of Arizona. So I've seen Philip Borovicinen up close a little bit here, both at the Blue and Red game and just around campus in practice. Reason number one why I like Philip Borovicinen is he can do just about everything on the basketball court. Fantastic as a pick-and-roll ball handler. He played for KK Beko. Uh, Serbia which is in the Serbian second league this past season. He was the main focal point on offense. Had the ball in his hands a lot and on film you see him operate in pick and roll. Able to go over screens. Be able to navigate how to attack guys that go under the screen. Shoot the three over them when they give him that space. And also the defenders that stay attached. Borovicin, and really knows how to play at different speeds. Able to get guys on his hips. Able to use a couple dribble moves to get free can flash a step back every now and then at six foot eight six foot nine 185 pounds ball handling pick and roll ability to change speeds can shoot well like that's a great starter set and hey what do you know he can also pass I don't have numbers for you the only things I can give to you right now unfortunately are just what's available on the University of Arizona website he averaged 20 points 9 rebounds and 4 assists uh, for KK Beko in Belgrade Serbia this past season his team did get to the championship this past season and then uh, with under 16s with European youth basketball he averaged 34.6 points per game and was the tournament MVP and And He also averaged 18.6 rebounds, 4.8 assists when he was in the under-16 team. This is a guy that's been at it for a while. Again, fantastic all-around skill set. The passing does stand out, too, because he will whip some one-handed, no looks. They're like, whoa, where did that come from? But it's clear this is somebody who understands how to operate in the pick-and-roll both as a scorer and as a passer. So like Primo and like Minot, and is not going to start right away, probably not start many games at all here. Minot was eighth in terms of minutes on that Memphis team this past season, and Primo was fifth in terms of minutes, played 30 games, only started 19. Kind of like the sixth man came out a little bit later in the year. I think Philip Borovich and then probably falls somewhere in between that and like seven, six, maybe if all things go according to plan. And main thing is that the guard spots for Arizona do lack size. Courtney Ramey, Kirk Creesa, both under six foot four. Both can shoot a little, both pretty good passers, but definitely lacking in terms of size. And Arizona needs that at one of the guard positions down the line. Filip Borovic can definitely do that and continue to space the floor, which is what he looks like he mainly is working at and was placed into that role mainly as a floor spacer in the red and blue game uh, in September the main guys that will be looking to get minutes as well in that same shooting guard, small forward wing position with Philip and at the University of Arizona will be Pella Larson, who played a lot of games this past season for the Wildcats, 6'5", 208 pounds. And the other one is Adama Ball, who's an up-and-comer, 6'6", 190 pounds. He was a freshman this past year, um, barely got playing time, kind of came on more later in the year, only had 104 minutes. Pella Larson had 767 minutes, shot 36% from three on 91 attempts, so he will definitely get some shine still in the rotation. Adama Ball is yet to be seen, but again, I'm kind of basing this on the red and blue game that was played September 30th. If you looked at it, again, Borovichen had quite a presence there, didn't score a ton, but was able to handle the ball a significant amount of time, was able to see that he's a floor spacer, operating on the corners, being able to space out for his teammates, and so still again flashing that passing ability which is the thing that both Adama Ball and Pella Larson do not really show. Pella Larson in those 767 minutes only just out 66 assists to 57 turnovers so not that many when you look at the per game numbers on that it's only 1.8 assists and Adama Ball I mean 104 minutes you, you can't really judge too much on what he's able to dish out but just for per game things just to give you an idea it was 0.4 but again not just knowing his profile a little bit this is something that Borovicenin definitely has above his other wing candidates: the ability to pass, along with the ability to shoot. And again, he has that size that none of these guys possess. Even somebody like Adama Ball, six foot six, one ninety, he's the tallest out of the guards and the wings they have. I think Filip Borovicenin immediately gives mismatch potential, especially at shooting guard, but at least all the way from the the wing positions. My last pitch on Philip Borovicenin is: if you like Nikola Durasic, then you're going to love. Philip Borovicin and probably not the exact same player but similar attributes I think Borovicin attacks and is a better ball handler operating out of the pick and roll since it is clear that he had a team built around him where he was a focal point on offense Dursic is more of a jump shooter like the jump shot is the number one thing with Durasic, I believe. And I just think Borovicin has a better passing ability too. Durisic does pass well, but Borovicin just puts sauce on things. Like I said, there's one, almost every game that you watch of him in his film where Borovicin just whips one out out of nowhere, no look, behind the back, whatever. And it's just like, man, where did that come from? And if anybody listened to his press conference with the media here, in Arizona he talked a lot about that 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 was kind of what Tommy Lloyd worked on him with this is like all right let's calm down on this passing stuff stick to the basics get into a role again it's nice to hear somebody saying yes I will embrace the role I'll understand how to play within the team first but not necessarily eliminate all that stuff but understand all right I got to adjust to the pace I got to adjust to things here and find the role within the team instead of just forcing everything upon it I really like for Philip Borovic and then six foot eight six 985 pound wing definitely looking for him to be in the rotation here in tucson for the wildcats bear down baby Thank you so much for making it here to the end of this hour long podcast over an hour right now. Will Res Ball, the podcast, be this long every single time? No, it will not. Most episodes will be around 30 minutes. That's what I'll try and stick to. If there's a topic like this that I really love or guests we have on that wants to go deeper into a topic, then yeah, it will definitely be longer. But sleepers is one of my passions. I love trying to find guys that are more under the radar that have noticeable and recognizable nba skills that i think should deserve more shine and get more of a look i love just trying to dive into the deeper prospects yes we'll talk about scoot henderson yes we'll talk about victor Wembanyama. yes we'll talk about the thompson twins but i definitely wanted to lead with the thing that i love the most about the nba draft and trying to scout nba draft guys as sleepers and just diving into guys that need more of a look from everybody and deserve more love from everybody so let's return to something i said at the beginning of the this podcast. Yate, Steve Pelletier, Billigana Chin, Kinlachitni Dasha Che Bilagana What is this? Well, it is our introduction as Danay people, giving y'all our four clans, letting you know this is who our family is, this is where we come from, and this is how we define ourselves individually as Danay people, and just a general introduction to let you know again where we come from, who our family is. This is how I'm gonna begin every single podcast this is res ball and number one definitely want to shout out all the native folks all my peoples across canada united states everywhere that plays res ball and what in the world does this introduction actually mean so A means hello hello y'all and that's how we say it in today and then steve pelletier initiate. my name is steve pelletier Next is my Deshikiji, initially that's our first clan. We are a matriarchal society, so this is my mom's clan. Everything comes from our mothers, everything comes from the women first. They are the keepers of our culture, keep everything together. And definitely should be revered always. Love you, Mom. If you're listening to this, from my Shumasani, my grandma, to Shima, my mom. Love them so much. And then next is um, Biligana Busheschin. So, my pops, that's uh, born for Busheschin. That's my dad's clan. So, my dad is white from Andover, Massachusetts. Shout out to my pops as well. And then we have Keenlachitni Dasha Che, excuse me. That is my maternal grandfather's clan, my Che grandfather. And Keenle Chitney means Red House clan. And then we have um, Bilagana Dasha Nulla. So Nulla is my paternal grandfather. And again, my dad's from Andover. He's white, so his dad is white. And my dad's dad is originally from Montreal. So hence my last name, Pelletier. Pelletier, if you come from the French-speaking parts of the world. And it's not just us Dene people who introduce ourselves this way with clans and with identifying who our clans are, how we define our family. Most tribes will have an introduction this way. Not everybody is as public with it. It's up to them and the individual, but definitely recognize every individual tribe and every individual introduction that they have. Everybody's clans are defined differently as well. Look into this. Educate yourself on it. Definitely revere and ask for permission before saying, hey, is it cool if I know your clans? Or hey, do you guys actually have a clan system? And if they say no, just walk away, you know, because, again, it's sacred knowledge for some people. It's uh, public knowledge for other people. Every single tribe is differently, but most of us do define ourselves through our clans. It's not just through blood relatives. It's not just through immediate family. I love being Native. Definitely will try and bring in some more culture stuff for from time to time. I understand it's basketball podcasts, like I said, but I am not somebody that's just going to stick to sports and wanna put that out here in episode number one, too. If that's gonna be you and say I should stick to sports, then this is not the podcast for you. Again, thank you so much for making it all the way here to the end of this first res ball episode, over an hour long, of talking about draft sleepers. If you can't get enough draft sleepers like me, then go check out the Box in One podcast with Coach Spins, Adam Spinella. He has an episode entitled Sleepers that he did with Maxwell Baumbach. They both do a fantastic job deep diving into a couple guys I actually wanted to talk about here. But they obviously have way more knowledge and insight than I do on these guys able to talk to people within the programs that they are at. So definitely check those out. Uh, I'll put a link in the description to that episode as well. The names they bring up are Zach Hicks. Out of tempo wing, apparently six foot nine now, which I did not know it's a big deal to me now, a good shooter. And then there's also Dylan Jones out of Weber State. I'm a big Dylan Jones fan, six foot six, like 230, 240. Really good shooter, not sure about defense, but kind of like David Roddy meets Xavier Tillman almost. If you don't know Dylan Jones out of Weber State, go check him out. Very unique player to look into. Jaden Nunn, shout out Flint Town, another fantastic Michigan basketball player playing at VCU, Gunner developing playmaker, good guard. And then the other guy that they dove into a little bit more was Tucker DeVries out of Drake. Another guy that's probably going to get uh, Jake LaRavia comparisons as they bring up in their tall shooter pretty scrappy defender definitely a lot to like there go check out that box in one sleeper podcast with coach spins and maxwell bomback now we've finally reached our end and what i'm going to say every week Hagone. what does Hagone mean i mean you can translate it as goodbye but i mean it really just means well there is no definitive end it's just like well because we'll see you again next time. So thank you again so much for listening to Ball. I hope to grow this channel, to grow this podcast so much in the future. I to have guests on and just continue to talk draft. I'll be here no matter what. Thank you again. Agone.